Part four, chapter twelve of the Manxman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Manxman by Sir Hall Kane. Part four, chapter twelve. Kate was up early the next morning, but Pete was stirring before her. As soon as he had heard the news of Philip's appointment, he had organized a drum and brass band to honor the day of the ceremony. The brass had been borrowed from Laxey, but the drum had been bought by Pete. "'Let's have a good sizable drum,' said he. "'Something with a voice in it, not a bit of a toot, going off with a pop like bladder rack.' The parchment was three feet across, the steel rings round it were like the hoops of a dog-cart, and the black drumsticks, according to Pete, were like the bullet-heads of two niggers. John Egg Jelly played the clarionet, and John the Widow played the trombone but the drum was the leading instrument. Pete himself played it. He pounded it, boomed it, thundered it. While he did so, his eyes blazed with rapture. A big, heroic soul spoke out of the drum for Pete. With the strap over his shoulder, he did not trouble much about the tune. When the heart leapt inside his breast, down came the niggerheads onto the mighty protuberance in front of it, and surely that was the end and aim of all music. The band practised in the cabin which Pete had set up for a summer-house in the middle of his garden. They met at daybreak that morning for the last of their rehearsals, and being up before their morning meal, they were constrained to smoke and drink as well as play. This they did out of a single pipe and a single pot, which each took up from the table in turn, as it fell to his part to have a few bars rest. While their muffled melody came to the house through the wooden walls and the dense smoke, Kate was cooking breakfast. She did everything carefully, for she was calmer than usual, and felt relieved of the load that had oppressed her. But once she leaned her head on the mantel-shelf while stooping over the frying-pan, and looked vacantly into the fire, and once she raised herself up from the tablecloth at the sound of the drum, and pressed her hand hard on her brow. The child awoke in the bedroom above and cried. Nancy Joe went flip-flapping upstairs, and brought her down with much clucking and cackling. Kate took the child and fed her from a feeding bottle which had been warming on the oven top. She was very tender with the little one, kissing all its extremities in the way the women have, worrying its legs and putting its feet into her mouth. Pete came in, hot and perspiring, and Kate handed the child back to Nancy. "'Hold hard!' cried Pete. "'Don't take her off yet. Give me a hold of her, the little rogue. My sailor, what a child it is, though!' Look at that now. She's got a grip of my thumb. What a fist, to be sure. She's lying in my hand like a meg. Did you stick a piece of dough on the wall at your last baking, Nancy? Just as well to keep the evil eye off. Coo! She's going at regular, same as the tide of a summer's day. By jing, Kitty, I didn't think there was so much fun in babies. Kate, seated at the table, was pouring out the tea, and a sudden impulse seized her. That's the way, she said. First the wife is everything, but the child comes, and then good-bye to the mother who brought it. No, by gosh, said Pete. The child is eighteen carat gold for the mother's sake, but the mother is diamonds for sake of the child. If I lost that little one, Kitty, it would be like losing the half of you. Losing, indeed, said Nancy. Who's talking about losing? Does she look like it, bless her little heart? Take her into the kitchen, Nancy, said Kate. "'Going to have a rare do today,' said Pete over a mouthful. 
I'm off for Douglas to see Philip made Dempster, coming home with himself by way of St. John's. It's all arranged, woman. Boys to meet the carriage by Kirk Chrysler's air at seven o'clock smart. Then out I'm getting, laying hold of the drum. The band is striking up, and we're bringing him into Ramsey triumphant. Oh, we'll be doing it grand, said Pete, blowing over the rim of his saucer. John the clerk is tremendous on the trombones, and there's no baiting Janake with the clarinet. The man is music to his little backbone. The town will be coming out too, and the fishermen shouting like one man. We're bound to let the governor see we mane it. A friend's a friend, say I, and we're for bucking up for the man that's bucking up for us. And when he goes to the Tinwell court there, it'll be lockjaw and the measles with some of them. If the old governor's got a tongue like a file, Philip's got a tongue like a scythe. He'll mow them down. No harbour dues, says he, till we've a reasonable hope of harbour improvements. Build your embankments for your trippers in Douglas, if you like, but don't ask the fishermen to pay for them. Pete wiped his mouth and charged his pipe. It'll be a rare old dust, but we're not thinking of ourselves only, though. Oh, no, no. If there wasn't nothing doing, we would be giving him a little tune for all coming home Dempster. Pete lit up. My sailor, it'll be a proud man I'll be this day, Kitty. Didn't I always say it? He'll be the first manxman living, says I, times and times, and he's not going to deceive me neither. Kate was in fear lest Pete should look up into her face. Catching sight of a rent in the cloth of his coat, she whipped out her needle and began to stitch it up, bending closely over it. What an eye a woman's got now, said Pete. That was the steel of the drum, ragging me sideways when I was a bit excited. Bless me, Kitty, there won't be a rag left at me when I get through this evening. They're terrible on clothes, these drums. He was puffing the smoke through her hair as she knelt below him. Well, he deserves it all. My sakes, the years I've known him. Him and me have been same as brothers. Yes, have we, ever since I was a slip of a boy in jackets and we went nesting on Morgold Head together, and getting married hasn't been making no difference. When a man marries, he shortens sail, usually, and pitches out some ballast, but not me at all. You're taking a chill, Kitty. No? Shuddering, anyway. Shoot, this dress is like paper. You should be having warmer things under it. Don't be going out today, darling, but tonight, about twenty-five minutes better than seven, just open the door and listen. We'll be a gate of it, then, like mad. And when you're hearing the drum booming, you'll be saying to yourself, Pete's there, and going it for all he knows. Oh, Pete, Pete, cried Kate, and she dropped back at his feet. Why, what's this at all, said Pete? You've been very, very good to me, Pete, and if I never see you again, you'll think the best of me, will you not? She had an impulse to tell all. She could hardly resist it. He smoothed the black ripples of her hair back from her forehead, and said tenderly, She's not so well today, that's it. Her eyes are bubbling like the laver. Then aloud with a laugh. Never see me again, eh? I'm not willing to share you with heaven yet, though. But I'll have to be doing as the doctor was saying, sending you to England, Ava. I will now, I will, he said, lifting his big finger threateningly. She slid backwards to the ground, but at the next moment was landed on Pete's breast. My poor little Kiri, not willing to stay with me, eh? Tut, tut. She'll be as smart as ever soon. She drew away from him with shame and self-reproach, mingled with that old feeling of personal repulsion which she could not conquer. 
Then the gate of the garden clicked, and Ross Christian came up the path. He's sticking to me as tight as a limpet, said Pete. Mr. Quilliam, said Ross, I come for my father this time. Deed, man, said Pete. Here's a little press for money. And Mr. Peter Christian sends to me. He thought you might like to lend on mortgage. On Balloway? Ross stammered and stuttered. Well, yes, certainly, as you say, on Ballo To think, to think, muttered Pete. He gazed vacantly before him for a moment, and then said sharply, I've no time to talk of it now, sir. I'm off to Douglas. But if you like to stop a while and talk of it with Mrs. Quilliam, I'll be hearing everything when I come back. Good day, Kate. Take care of my wife. Good day, Nancy. Look after my two girls while I'm away. And Kitty Boch, whispering. Mind you send to Robbie Clucas, the draper, for some nice warm underclothing. Good-bye. Another. Just one more, then aloud. Good day to you, sir. Good day. End of Part 4, Chapter 12